welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. Well, welcome everyone to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. And today, David and I are talking with Samuel Kim. So welcome, Samuel. I'm so glad to have you here today. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am, I'm really excited to, to hear about your, your journey. And I think the thing that, I, that stuck out to me in your bio is the fact that, like many of us, um, you were in the church, you took a hiatus from the church, and now you're finding your way back into church and um, trying. trying, if that's possible, right? I know that's, um, that's a, a hard place. I personally haven't gotten there yet. I'm personally on on the outside. Um, so I would, I would love to just start off with inviting you to kind of talk a little bit about your journey from that perspective. Like what, what had you in the church? What led you to leave the church? And then what, what's calling you back? Yeah. Um, so it's impossible to talk about my experience as a Christian without talking about my parents first. My parents uh, were missionaries, still are missionaries actually right now. They're in Thailand before they were in China. Um, so Christianity, the church, that was just the air that I breathed my, my whole life. I went to, uh, Christian schools for all of my schooling, all of my education, aside from just fourth grade. But aside from that, very, very <laughs> Christian environment. You know, we had morning devotionals every morning as a family. Um, so, so Christian culture, Christian language just saturated my environment. Um, I became very fluent in Christianese at a pretty young mm-hmm. age. Uh, so multilingual in that way, <laughs> aside from, you know, being Korean American as well. Mm-hmm. And in the mission field, I saw a lot of what I thought at that time to be really good aspects of uh, Christianity. I saw a lot of compassion, a, a lot of generosity, a lot of these things that many of us saw, at least to, to some degree, growing up, um, at least for me. Again, I know Mission Field is a very different environment. Um, I also saw my mom's faith. Uh, she would frequently... Uh, wake up at like 4.30, 5 a.m. in the morning to pray. And that was before we had our daily you know, family devotionals. So I saw that real relationship that my parents had uh, with God. And uh, I myself had some experiences that it's um, it's difficult to explain just with science. I, I truly believe that there was some God experience. 
experiences that I had. And then I went to college in the States. I returned back to the States. And during my college years, uh, Trump got into power. And I saw so much uh, evils of specifically white evangelicalism, but the American church as a whole, which again, was pretty new for me. Uh, despite being born in the States, I didn't spend too much time in the States until college. And that dissonance was so jarring to me. Mm. Uh, I remember this one conversation I had with my mom where I was telling her about all the things that Trump was doing. And she's like, that's terrible. And I was like, I know. And so much of the church supports Trump. And she said, oh, no, that's not true. She just said, it's not true. No evidence. Yeah. She doesn't read the news. <laughs> it just could not compute to her that Christians <laughs> would support this kind of, of person. And because a lot of these... And she, she, was in, she was in Korea. Uh, in, chi in China. That's in, that, that she was, was in China. <laughs> so she's not getting direct, uh, as direct uh, information. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Um. And because of a lot of these different experiences I had, both looking on the news as well as personal conversations I've had with uh, evangelicals, again, specifically white evangelicals, um, I said, this does not sound, look like, or smell like Christ. And so I took a step back from church because I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. And despite taking that step back, like I said, there were some some goodness that I did I did experience of the church and also with God. And though it took some time and is still taking some time, as as I mentioned, um, I'm wanting to to reconnect with parts of those things. So very gently, kind of dipping my toes back into church uh, this time without any unrealistic expectations, or, or so I hope, um, very much aware of the, the brokenness of so much of the church. But um, I like to think that maybe there might be some some goodness there that I can connect. Okay, with. so, uh, you know, he, this begs the question, because you have brothers, right? Yes, three. Uh, how are they responding to all this? Um, in different ways. Um, one of my brothers, I feel like, is very much in a similar place to me. Um, I think all of us, to, to some degree, have this kind of distance with the church, but also, again, it was so much of our experience. And each of us, in different ways, did experience the goodness of the church. So um, there is some keeping the church and God at, at arm's length, to some degree. Um, I think the distance maybe varies uh, between mm -hmm. the four of us. There was a recent article, and I can't remember where the actual article was, but there was a Christianity Today editor that was reporting on the fact that there are multiple pastors who are having an experience where they preach from the gospel, or they preach the Beatitudes, um, or they preach, you know, the words of Jesus, and they are actually um, confronted by parishioners who say, where did you get that woke agenda from? Right. And uh, you got to preach something stronger, you know, and they, they want what I call the Rambo Jesus, who's pro-gun gun laws and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm curious to know if, you know, when you talk about 
when you talk about dissonance, I'm just the, the dissonance between the Jesus that we see in scripture and so much of what the American church, the white, and I think we need to clarify the white evangelical, often non-denominational, um, I call them shiny tooth pastors, skinny jean pastor churches, you know, where that, that dissonance is and how do we, how do you move back into a community where there's so much dissonance? How do you, what are some of the personal things that you're doing, the personal practices perhaps that you're participating in in order to do that? That's uh, a, a great question. So for me, you know, the, the tr- I would didn't have to do any of that work before because again, the church was that place. Um, the church was a place where I felt safe, where I felt like I belonged. And again, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a straight cis male, so you know, not, not too, too difficult for me to find some semblance of belonging, uh, but where I felt seen and now I have to look for those places outside of the church in relationships outside the church, uh, you know, with my spouse, with friends, uh, many of whom, you know, have also left the church. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad. And there's a lot of grief that I experience about that, that the one place where I should feel safe and a sense of belonging is now very much not that place. I have to find that elsewhere. So. Samuel, you're reminding me of a, a conversation <laughs> that I had that for me came out of the blue a week ago. I was in Chicago at a convention and I got a phone call from someone I hadn't heard from for years. He's quite a bit younger than I am. He may be your age, but he was a UCSB, San, UC Santa Barbara student uh, some years ago, African-American, who had at the time asked me to mentor him. The thing is, is that we were in such different places because he was deeply immersed in something called intervarsity, uh, which is basically, you know, very white evangelical. And, and I was just not there. So I couldn't really mentor him. However, all these years later, he calls me and it's almost like he's had this epiphany. And he said, he told me, he said, David, it's even it, it feels awkward for me to say these words. And he used the words that you used. He, he said, it feels awkward for me to say these words, but I've stepped back from church. <laughs> um, cause that was such a big part of his life. And he just wanted to, to reconnect. And I'm wondering, because uh, Carrie and I, we've talked with people about this who have family connections in church. How are you navigating this? Great question. Um, like I said, my parents are still missionaries. They're on the mission field. And it's, it's certainly been challenging because taking a step back from the church was in some ways taking a step back from my parents, or at least that's how they've experienced it. Um, one of my, my brothers, one of my brothers have, has had a conversation with my mom where, you know, point blank, he asked my mom, do you think I'm going to go to hell? And she didn't answer, couldn't answer that question. So frankly, for me, my relationship with my parents is still something I'm figuring out. There are certain topics where I just won't engage. Um, I'm very much convinced that my mom doesn't know how to relate with people outside of the Christian faith and Christian tradition. So there are some things I'll just hold my mouth and just kind of let my mom say what what she needs to 
um, right now, the direction that I'm seeing my relationship with my parents is maybe being, um, I'm trying to become more comfortable asking my parents for uh, prayer or, or giving them like prayer requests. I still very much have some icky feelings around that, but that's one way that I'm connecting to my parents. And mm-hmm. I imagine they feel connected to me. It, it's not something that feels completely ingenuous to me, uh, but still some common ground of sorts, mm-hmm. I guess, that mm-hmm. we have. Hey, we're sending love, Samuel. Uh, you represent so many people uh, from so many ethnic and racial backgrounds who have, you know, um, Christian experiences, and yet you're speaking from a distinctly uh, Korean American perspective. And I, you know, I can't remember her name, but I remember there was a professor. There is a professor at UCLA who came and did a book signing here in Santa Barbara at UC Santa Barbara. And her book was about how she, she's Korean, um, Korean American, but she, she talked about how the, the, the passion for so many families in, in, in Korea is to send their kids to school in the States, but as missionaries on their campuses, but they don't actually end up, I don't know if being successful is the right word, but they don't actually become missionaries. Uh, can can you speak to that at all? Um, that is a context I'm afraid I'm a little removed from, so I can, unfortunately can't really speak too much to that. I hear you, sir. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm curious to know, and this this is a hard question. I'm gonna guess it's a hard question, but. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, and I don't expect a nice, neat, clean answer. It's probably going to be messy. Um, but what your thoughts are on the the relationship between missions work and colonialism um, and the harm that that has done? I know it's a big, deep, messy question. Um, I think it's it's very difficult to separate the two. Yeah. That's partly why I have so much mixed feelings about the work that my parents do. I mean, this is what they've done their whole life. This is what has shaped so much of my life. If my parents were not missionaries, uh, they would not have migrated to the States. I would have been born in Korea and I would have had a completely different experience. Mm. Um, it's it's interesting uh, for my parents. Again, my parents are Korean. Uh, they're not white. Right. They're not white American. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's a weird, in, in terms of colonialism, it's a weird thing that plays yeah. out in that way that they're yeah. kind of engaging in this white colonialism despite not being white themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for the benefit of our, our listeners, I just want to point out that, that you attended Christian, not just, you know, as you mentioned, Christian schools growing up, but you went to Wheaton College and you went to Fuller for graduate work. And, and yet you're making use of that as a therapist because you, you know, you got your MFT there, uh, your master's in family therapy. You, you're making it happen. But do you have any, um, I don't want to use the word regrets, but do you, how am I? Okay. So, do you feel like you have to 
backtrack sometimes uh, in terms of your your way of thinking and your approach to your profession because of the way that you were formed? Um, no, actually, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think the, the education route I took was necessary for the time that I was at. Um, I don't think I could have been receptive to some of these ideas at that time. Uh, I view Wheaton as a more conservative school than Fuller. And um, even now, you know, whether I'm working with Christian or non-Christian clients, I do find myself often having a, a Christian framework that it just is so ingrained in me. I can't, I can't disconnect myself from this Christian framework. Uh, of course, I'm not ex- like explicit about that. I'm not like evangelizing to my clients or anything. But there is, like I said, a, a lot of goodness that I see in much of what I learned, uh, a, a lot of hope, even a, a, a radical um, kind of hope that I learned um, that I find to be very useful in working with my clients who often experience very hopeless types of situations. Um, so I, feel I, like love, I love radical hope. Can you talk more about what radical hope looks like? Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, th- there were a lot of terrible things I saw as a child in, in the mission field in China. I saw um, children begging on the streets, um, oftentimes with like broken arms or broken legs. And I did hear that uh, fr- from others that there were there, there are some people who kidnap children and deliberately break their arms just so that they can like, make more money. I think. Now, for me, I think if you can't look into those types of situations and all the other terrible abuses that we see every day in this world, if you can't look at that and have hope, then your hope is full of shit, is frankly how I see it. Your hope is meaningless. I don't want it. I don't care for it. And so for me, hope has to look like being able to look at completely hopeless situations and so being like, you know, again, I can't connect, disconnect my, my, like, my, my Christian language, that God can still do something with this. So are you feeling possible. hope? Are you, are you feeling that hope? I mean, it, it, what's, what's the spring inside of you look and feel like? Um, I, I do feel that hope about a lot of things. When it comes to the white church, I find a lot of difficulty to holding on to that radical hope. Um, it's much easier, frankly, as a therapist looking at individuals or individual couples to have hope for their particular situations. Um, but when I look at some of the larger things, yeah, my, my hope certainly gets challenged. You, you, um, what year, what year were you in, years were you at Wheaton? Uh, 2013 through 2017. Oh my goodness. So you were there when Larisha Hawkins was there? Yes. Yes. Uh, Carrie, do you know about yes. Larisha Hawkins? I do uh, not. Oh, well. Please educate me. <laughs> Sammy, you want to? Uh, so there uh, was this one professor, black female professor, tenured at Wheaton, and she posted a picture on Facebook or something wearing a hijab and saying, you know, we worship the same God. Um, to many theologians, not too much of a controversial issue when you look at, you know, Islam and, and God, a lot of the same roots 
etc. But Wheaton did not take kindly to that and kicked her out, uh, despite yeah. a lot of student protests and all these things. Uh, one of my roommates at the time was taking her class when all this went down as well. And for a lot of us, uh, the only conclusion we could really have is, oh, this had to do with donors and donors threatening. Again, we don't, we didn't have any like concrete evidence of that, but it was very difficult to, to think of anything else since many other professors at the same college said, yeah, I don't think that's a too controversial a, a stance to take. And many of us also assume it was because she was a black female person as well. That definitely played a factor in her being mm-hmm. picked out. And I'll emphasize, you said this, but she was tenured. Mm, that, that's even, it takes a lot more to get to, to remove a tenured professor. Wow. Wow. The power of the white male, rich white male donor. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. I think that makes total sense that it was a donor donor driven so much. I've seen that in so many nonprofit organizations, um, and very specifically the way that that money plays a role in how an organization will take a stance on racial equity issues, um, LGBTQ rights, all of those things. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And and uh, I'll say this for Carrie and for anyone who's listening. Uh, there is a documentary called called Same God um, that, you know, you can find streaming, uh, I don't know where, but probably Prime or something like that. And it's the Larisha Hawkins uh, story. I think she's she's teaching at another, maybe like North Carolina or some other university now. Now that you, you tell me that story, I feel like I I remember hearing about it back in the day. I do think yeah. I remember that story. So it was kind of in the air. <laughs> so, so when, as let's getting back on track to your journey back into church, um, because I assume that you're, you're moving, you're attempting to move back into church because you, you do believe that God is not indeed an asshole, right? That there's something, uh, redemptive, <laughs> you know, um, and, and beautiful, right? And could you not find that outside the church? Or what is it about church specifically that's, that's calling you back? Um, um, is it the community? Is it, you know, can you, not, can you not engage with the divine outside the walls of the church? Certainly I, I can, you know, engage with God outside the church. Um, I, I do strongly believe that, you know, uh, relationship with God has to be a communal one, at least to some degree, whether it be specifically in church context or just, you know, a, a group of friends. I, I've certainly have had conversations with some, you know, uh, a group of friends, maybe half of us are half drunk or whatever, and we're talking about God. And I do very much do feel like God is present there. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is a particular experience in the church that I personally, it's, again, I'm not saying that you can't find God. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we yeah. Uh, for some time, I had a group with some friends where we get together every month over drinks, and just like talk about whatever was going on. And I felt like that was church in a lot, mm-hmm. a gathering of, of believers. Uh, but again, for me, there's that's there's something specific in that church context. Yeah. Uh, can you say? Means. Can you can you point to what it is specifically? Do you think? Like, is it? Is it just um, that that communal experience? What what is it about that that makes it so yeah. special? 
to be honest, that's something I'm still trying to figure out now. Yeah, I think there yeah. is an element, maybe of 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 worship or ministry. Again, these are all things that you can do outside of the, that specific context, but it's, it's more accessible in some ways. I'm being. I, I want to confess. I tend to be a rebel heart, or like, and I. Do, it's not necessary. In some cases, it's. one of my greatest virtues and in other cases it does it's my downfall 100 percent, right because honestly if somebody tells me not you know don't do something i want to do it immediately if somebody tells me you have to do something i'm like i don't want to do that (laughs) you know it's i I don't know why it's just the way i am but you're making me this conversation is making me remember a time when um i was listening to a a pastor speak and he had been reading i think it was donald miller i know it was donald miller i think it was like jazz his book like jazz in which he talks about stopping and being with some friends as they were on a road trip and they were so overwhelmed by the view that they were seeing that they stopped and they had to stop at the moment and just have communion on the side of the road and, and what a beautiful spiritual moment this was. And the pastor was, uh, was so like personally offended by the idea that communion could take place outside of the church. And I couldn't help but wonder. Obviously and, and, pre-COVID, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yes, definitely pre-COVID. And and also coming from a straight, cis, white, you know, white, powerful pastor, man. Um, so I couldn't help but wonder what made that such a dangerous idea that that a group of believers could stop on the side of the road and be so awestruck by God's creation and uh, that they would have to um, just feel so compelled to stop and have communion together. And Carrie, let me ask real quickly, when was this? I was still in the church, so before 2015, so probably 2014, somewhere around there. Because, you know, I'm just, as Samuel was talking, I was thinking, you know, that that speaks a lot. He's talking about a, a generational shift because i know that you know when i was you know your age if i would have said i got drunk with some of my friends and we were in the presence of god oh that would never have carried any weight with anybody <laughs> right but now we have beer and hymns at wild goose right yeah, yeah now yeah, we yeah. have these, yes yes <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yes so so i just i just wonder like what what makes it such a, such a dangerous concept to to have communion on the side of the road. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts, Samuel, what you're uh, feeling. Well, I, I, again, cer- I certainly personally don't have, you know, I, I'm not threatened by that. I think it does have to go. I wasn't with. implying that you were. Right. I just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it just goes back to power uh, very simply. Um, people exactly like my people in power like stay in power and like doing things their way and anything different feels very threatening, which... Again, it's confusing to me, given much of what I see in scripture. Um, there seems to be so much more agency that I see that, you know, God or Jesus gives to others. Yeah, so I, I think it's just simply power. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell, and we want to know about it please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know 
that God is not an asshole.